following messages were presented during the Friends of Israel 2009 Prophecy Conferences. It should be noted that a few of our speakers presented their messages with the aid of PowerPoint. Now I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And when you get there, I want you to put your finger at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and verse 2. But first we're going to be in John, chapter 18, and verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That by, say, by the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who was of the truth Hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he, when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. And turn back to Luke chapter 23 and verse 2. Luke chapter 23 and verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. This evening, I'd like to talk about this passage, and I'd really like us to look at really two points, just two points, not three points in a prayer, two points, uh, two points, setting the stage for this moment in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus, and then a strategic witness in the providence and sovereignty of God as Jesus with a ruler, Pilate, uh, had. We saw in, chap in chapter 23 and verse 2 of Luke three reasons why he was on trial. The three reasons that were given. First, for the perverting of the nation. He was on trial because he was stirring up the nation and he was perverting its teaching, and this was from the leadership. Secondly, because he wasn't paying taxes. 
That is, he wasn't uh, ascribing the tax that was due to Caesar. That was the charge. And third, he claimed to be the Messiah, the king. And so he comes to Pilate. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that shortly, but let me just tell you a little bit about Pilate. Uh, this is the person that Jesus is going to deal with in uh, John chapter 18. Pilate was a Roman ruler. He was under Caesar. His main charge was to collect taxes, make sure he did that, and to keep the peace. If you're ever in Israel, you'll note that when you're on the uh, Temple Mount or near the Temple Mount, they'll point out to you Antonio's fortress. At Passover time, uh, Antonio's, ten, Antonio Fortress is stacked with even more soldiers in the first century. And Pilate uh, was there on purpose because that was a tendency, at least in the Roman mind, that there would be upheaval, that several uh, messiahs, several uh, generals, Jewish generals, might rise up to try to overtake Rome, and they were nervous about that. But Pilate ruled between 26 A.D. and 36 A.D. He's regarded in history as inflexible, stubborn, and cruel. He wasn't always sensitive to Jewish customs. Rome allowed the Jewish people to rule themselves religiously. As long as they paid their taxes, as long as they weren't causing insurrection, as long as things were nice, they were happy. Pilate gave them trouble from time to time. One time he took the tax that was designated for the temple and used it to build an aqueduct. Sometimes we think in our politics here that only our politicians do things like that. Not true. That caused a great deal of uh, uh, concern on the part of the Jewish people. It got back to Rome. Also, there was a time when he, as past uh, leaders would make sure that there were no images in and around the temple because that violated uh, the Jewish law concerning false images. Uh, Pilate, from time to time, just probably to harass them, left images deliberately there. And so Pilate was not on the top ten list all the time for the Jewish people, but he wasn't always on the top ten list in Rome either because when there was unrest there, uh, when taxes were not always collected, uh, that, that caused concern as well. And so this was probably around near the end of his reign during that time, depending on what your date is. Mine is around 33 when this took place. Uh, and that would be right around near the end of Pilate's time there. And so we come to the point in, in John chapter uh, 18 that we have Pilate, the Praetorium, and the Passover. We've got Pilate, that's who's the ruler there. We've got the Praetorium, that's the location. And then we have Passover. That's the time of year that it is. And as we set the stage for this encounter, a few things we have to consider. Number one, the prophetic ministry before this event. Quite a bit of prophetic ministry has gone in to this event. I can take you back, as I already mentioned, um, uh, Menno's booklet uh, on the future. Uh, Daniel, a key person in pointing to this time. Daniel talked about four kingdoms. 
When the fourth kingdom came, any Jewish person who knew their Bible, who knew their scroll, who knew their Bible, knew that this was the fourth kingdom. And they knew that there would be a fifth kingdom. If they had been reading Deuteronomy, it talked about a prophet greater than Moses. If they had been reading Isaiah, they knew that a child would be born and a son would be given. If they had been reading Genesis and the Torah, they knew there'd be the seed of a woman. If they knew Malachi, the end of the Old Testament chronologically, they would know that a person who would come like Elijah, Elijah would come and would prepare the way for this person. We're told that he would send Elijah and turn the hearts of families toward each other. And then we know that there were 400 years. 400 years, we call them, for lack of better, I've never heard anything better, the 400 silent years. For, that doesn't mean God didn't do anything during that time. It simply means we don't have any word from God during that time. And so the last Old Testament prophet is John the Baptist. And we have him prophesied, I believe, and then presented for us at the very beginning of the Gospels. Now, Baptist friends, John the Baptist was not a Baptist. <laughs> you want to claim him? In Yiddish, I'd say, Zygesund. Live and be well. Do what you want. But there weren't any Baptists. He was John the Immerser, John who was putting people in water. His message was repent for the kingdom is at hand. You've heard a lot about the kingdom. There were Jewish people who knew the timing prophetically of these events and sensed that God was doing something. Here's this prophet as like unto Elijah, dressed in a, in a crazy kind of way, eating a crazy kind of diet, but preaching the word. Their hearts were stirred. They knew that if the kingdom was coming, and it seemed like it was, that in order for them to be part of the kingdom, they needed to repent, to identify with the kingdom. And so they did. Today, in, in Judaism and in the past, if you've ever been there, there's what's called mikvah baths. A mikvah would not be unfamiliar to a Jewish person. Dunking uh, as a symbol to cleanse. It doesn't cleanse you. Judaism never teaches that the mikvah cleanses you. What it did do was was mean that you were in your heart and mind confessing or coming to a point where you were cleansed. For instance, when a woman reached the end of her cycle, her monthly cycle, she would go into the mikvah. She was done uh, losing blood. She was clean. She would go into the mikvah and present herself afresh to her husband, who she had been apart from for two weeks. And so the, the idea of an of a immersion was not foreign to the Jewish mind at all. And so we have this prophetic ministry that sets the scene for John chapter 18. And then we have, of course, right after that, the presentation of the promised one. That is, with this great expectation for those who were tuned in, for those who were listening to the prophets of old and the current prophet that had come prepare the way, he comes. He comes. Jesus was the one pointed out by John. Jesus was the one who was prophesied. And when you, you read about him in Luke chapter 2, his birth, 
uh, the unique conception that he had, the circumcision that he had, the opportunity that he had at about 12 years old to, in a miraculous, uh, from our vantage point, unbelievable way as a 12-year-old boy being able to expound the Scriptures. Why? Because he was a sinless young boy. Could you imagine having a sinless child? I would hate to be the brother or sister of a sinless child. You're dead in the water no matter what you do. But he lived a sinless life and had a consuming passion for God's Word. And then we don't hear anything about him. After 12 years old, we don't know anything about him until he's 30 years old. And at 30 years old, he gets baptized. He gets baptized. He hears about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is preaching. Did Jesus come because he had to repent? Oh, I hope you don't say that. He didn't have to repent. Well, why did he come? Well, as a perfect, sinless boy who becomes a man, believing in God with all his heart, soul, and mind, if the kingdom of God is coming, he's identifying. And when he gets baptized, the Spirit of God falls upon him. And he begins to minister. And the message is the king's here. He is the king. And he preaches. The king is offering the kingdom. Now who's going to believe him? Who is possibly going to believe that this boy, who's now a man from Nazareth, none of the people, well, I shouldn't say none, very few of the people in Nazareth believed him. They watched him grow up. Hey, isn't this Joseph's boy? Joe's boy. Man, he's claiming all kinds of things. It says that he did very few miracles there. They didn't believe him. It was too hard for them to come to grips with such a thing. And yet we're told that he begins to preach. And in order, order to authenticate his preaching, he does miracles. Incredible miracles. And he does them at the prompting of the Spirit of God. What does he do? Well, he cleanses the lepers, heals the sick, feeds the hungry, raises the dead. So here is a person coming on the scene. First we had uh, the preparer, John the Baptist, who said once he, once he recognized him and baptized him, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. And the next time we hear John the Baptist, he's in prison. And so Jesus preaches this message and authenticates it. Following about a three-and-a-half-year ministry, we come to the Passion Week. So we've had his prophetic ministry. We've had him being presented as the promised one. We hear his preaching and authenticating his preaching. And now we have the Passion Week. As described, Passion, King James Version. Those of you with the King James Version, uh, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. It's called the Passion Week. And an interesting week, because during that week, Sunday, what a day. We call it Palm Sunday. Now, there's a whole lot that you can talk about, but for my purposes, I'm just trying to present the context of where we're at. So I can't go into detail other than to tell you that on Sunday, when he came in, they were saying Hosanna to the king. I mean, Israel came out, the people, they, they loved him. They were ready for him. They were proclaiming him king. On Monday and Tuesday, he took over the temple. 
He, he possessed the temple for two days. And he went up against the great minds of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he was answering them. He turned over the money changers. And there was a reason for that. You know, too often I've heard, I've, I've heard it many times, oh, those Jewish people, they'll try to rip you off. They're pushy people and they'll try to rip you off. Have you ever been ripped off by a Jewish person? You might say, yeah, I have. And, I, and I'd say, hey, that's sinful people. Have you ever been ripped off by a Christian person? Ooh, ooh. A Gentile person. Look, there's corruption. It knows no particular group of people. And the Bible's an honest book, and there were issues going on at that temple. And on Monday and Tuesday, he was possessing the temple. On Wednesday, probably a quiet day, preparing for the Passover. And on Thursday, remember, and I'm not going into all the details on that, but remember, the evening is the next day. According to Judaism, we're Tuesday morning, right now, I think. Although I can't, it might not still be light outside, so don't hold me to that. But if it's dark outside, it's already Tuesday, according to Judaism. And so then there was the Passover, and then, that, and then he was arrested. And it's, there were three stages of the Jewish arrest. First, Annas, then Caiaphas, and then an early trial. So there's already been three stages of a Jewish trial, hastily put together, contrived to be sure, and I gave you in, in Luke chapter 23 the reason why he's there. And so we come to the strategic witness. There are three stages in the Roman trial. This was the first stage, Pilate. From Pilate he would go to Herod later on, and then back to Pilate. And it's here in chapter 18, starting in verse 28, that we have that whole setup. All those things I told you. Here he is. Here's this person, Jesus, now arrested. He has infuriated the leadership. They've wanted him dead a long time. They put together this trial. And by the way, were the, were the charges trumped up? You better believe it. He paid his taxes. Uh, those kinds of things were made up in order that they could get him. We know, too, that Judas betrayed him. A lot of things went behind the scenes, but that's what led up to this point in time. And so as we come to the text, it says, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. The praetorium, that's the place of the governor. The praetorium was the place where he lived. And it says they took him there, and it was early in the morning. That's when that trial went on. According to Jewish law, it had to go on at the first light. It couldn't go on in the, in the, in the night. It had to be during the day. And so they brought him there. Uh, but they didn't go in. They didn't want to be contaminated. Uh, now think about it. Pilate was the ruler, and they asked for him to come out. That would be like you going to your governor and saying, come out here, Gov, I want to talk to you. You just don't do that. We call that chutzpah. Uh, it seems they had it, and Pilate plays along. Pilate probably thinks that this is some person, he's got to deal with him, he'll play along with him and take care of whatever it is that they want him to take care of. He hears of this person. And so it says, verse 29, Pilate then went out, so he went out of his residence early in the morning. Uh, he got his wake-up call. They didn't get their wake-up call. <laughs> he got it. And he gets out, according to the text, 
And he said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And that's where we go to uh, Luke and we find out what the charges are. Remember, uh, most of Jesus' life is there's agreement in what's called the synoptics. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke. John is unique. He adds more information, more detail. But this event, all four of the Gospels have this. Different nuance, but they all have it. And so they give forth the charge, and then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. He said, hey, don't bring him to me. This has to do with your Jewish laws. Look, just handle it yourself. It doesn't concern us. Literally, from my perspective, he's saying, I don't need this service. I don't need this trouble. This doesn't concern Rome, doesn't concern any of our laws, so you handle it yourself. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, that's an interesting statement to make. Because if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know something happened, don't you? Anybody want to shout it out? Stephen. Who did it? The leadership. They stoned him. So what they're saying is true, but yet they stoned people. And it seems that the Romans allowed them to do that as, in order to keep a general peace. But here they're saying it, again, I believe in the providence and sovereignty of God, in order. You see, Jesus set, his, his, Jesus set himself as a flint, the Bible says, to the cross. And he would have to be lifted up. And so, while Pilate would have had no problem, it seems, no problem at all, with uh, allowing them to stone him, in order that the scriptures would be fulfilled, they come to him. They, they don't know that. They just come to him and say, uh-uh-uh, we, we can't do it. You do it. And then it says, uh, that, and uh, John says, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate calls Jesus in. Here is a strategic witness. The king, we believe, the real king, the one who's been rejected by the leadership, the, one that, the ones that don't hold to it at all, he and Pilate are face to face. It's an interesting encounter. Pilate entered the praetorium and said, are you the king of the Jews? Now the text doesn't say this, but here's the answer. Who wants to know? Who wants to know? Do you really want to know? Are, do you pilot? Now again, it doesn't say it that way. If you, if you have a Bible with red lettering, some of you do, it says, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Who wants to know? If you pilot want to know, that's one thing. If some people have told you about me, that's another thing. Who wants to know? Then Pilate said, am I a Jew? Now, you can't hear the nuance there. Uh, maybe you can. It seems to me I can hear the nuance there. 
You know, if any of you use the term Jew, look, if the grammar demands it, that's fine. But there is something about that word, and Jewish people kind of expect it of you. You know, those Jews. You know, those buggy little Jews. <laughs> Pilate's saying, I believe in a, in a derogatory way, am I a Jew? I don't deal with this stuff. I'm, I'm Pilate. I don't, I don't deal with you people. I don't deal with what you're talking about. Your laws confuse me. I don't know anything about you. Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? I want to know, you, you people, you lowlifes, what are you wasting my time for? What in the world did you do? That's what he wants to know. And then Jesus answered him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Ho, ho, ho. We've been talking a lot about the kingdom today. Here is Jesus dealing with Pilate. And what he tells him is this. Look, my kingdom is not here. At least not now. In fact, it's interesting what Jesus did not say. What he did not say was that there would not be his kingdom on the earth. He didn't say that. Just, not, just saying that my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like your kingdom. That's really what he was saying. He also didn't say he would never rule the world. He didn't say that either. All he's saying is this kingdom isn't like your kingdom. If it was, I would have had my people armed against your people. And there would be a confrontation. There has been no confrontation. No confrontation whatsoever. In fact, what he said, I am the king. If you want the answer, I am. I was born for this. This is what I was born for. That's his humanity. We gave that brief introduction. This was the purpose of Jesus taking on flesh. His purpose was to come and offer the kingdom. Was it a legitimate offer? Oh, people talk about that. Remember we talked about, not just me, all the speakers talked about it as well. We read the Bible normally. We believe Jesus was without sin. Therefore, he cannot lie. If Jesus offered the kingdom, it was a legitimate offer. It was. Well, it was rejected. So for this cause, he came. The cause he came to be born. That's his humanity. But for this cause, he came. That means he came from somewhere. So he was born, that's his humanity. He came from heaven, second person of the Godhead, his deity. Another thing that Jewish people have a hard time. And I can't tell you, I, I have an easy time understanding it, because I don't, but I believe it. 100% God and 100% man. Not 50-50, 100%. God and man in one. It's an amazing thing. And Jesus talking to him says, that's why I was born, that's why I came. And it goes on and he says he testifies to the truth, that I shall bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth 
hears my voice. Jesus came, he is the truth. You know, if you've ever watched Larry King Live, Jewish man, it seems to me, as an outside observer, not watching every one of his times with various Christians and groups and all that, but I've certainly read enough times when he's been on on the internet. I read when uh, he has various people on. He, he has them of all persuasions. He's trying to find out, like Pilate, what is truth. And when he's heard it, and he has, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Now, when Rome took over, they came with the sword, the Roman sword. There was war. There was conquering. Jesus' way is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Lord. Remember when Peter sliced the ear off of uh, one of the soldiers? Uh, boy, would you have liked to have been there? Boom, the ear goes off. Blood all over the place. And he's arrested. Goes down, picks up the ear, boom, plops it back on, it's fine. If I was a soldier, I'd give him my sword. <laughs> Whatever you want. Are you kidding me? I, I can't imagine that. But it's, it's kind of like an aside. I, to me, it's, man, I've never, that's an amazing, think about that. It's an amazing thing. And then he asks, what is the truth? What is truth? That's the question. Now the Bible, while, while I believe when he talked about him being a Jew, I believe that was, with, that was really speaking down to him. It's hard for me, personally, to know what tone he had when he asked this question. Maybe some of you could give me insight. But to me, I don't know. Was he sneering? Or sighing? Was he snotty or sincere? I don't know. I really don't know. But what I find interesting, and I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in verse 11. 1 Timothy. Verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Now in the two minutes that I have, I might step on some toes. So be it. I mean, I still have to be here all week, so I'll take my lumps. The Lord Jesus Christ was arrested. He was treated in horrible ways. When he, as the king, the, the one who spoke the world into existence, that's what he did back at creation. The one who took on flesh and came as a servant, but God nonetheless 
spoke to Pilate in a respectful manner, submitted in a sense, as you read the encounter that we just read, he wasn't demeaning back to him. He, was, he certainly spoke, Pilate spoke to him in a demeaning way. We don't sense in any way that Jesus did that. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, when he read it, is now reporting, as he writes to Timothy, to say, you know, I think we can get a lesson here. You know what the lesson is? That even if the ruler is a jerk, you ought to treat him with respect. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Hey, let the Spirit of God do what He will with your mind. This is the Word of God. If we believe it, and if we read it normally, then it seems to me what the Lord Jesus Christ did with Pilate, by the way, concerning an important thing, the kingdom. Pilate seemed to be, at least it's possible, that just by the very conduct of Jesus. And by the way, not his deity. There's nothing in the passage in John uh, 18 that talks about his deity. I mean, he, he never stopped being God. All I'm saying is he conducted himself no different than what we could conduct ourselves. It, it didn't demand his deity is all I'm saying. And it was in such a way that at least it's possible. I, again, I don't know. Maybe you have an insight. All I'm saying is that Pilate was so impressed, and the question was, what is truth? What is truth? Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. Drive it as a sword of the Spirit into our heart. Correct us if any of us need correcting. May we be on our knees for our leaders, asking your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the sake of Christ, in his name, amen.